All right, this is Jared with Metalspeak.com. I'm here with Robin Stapps from the Ocean. How's it going? Pretty good. Just tired after a long drive, but yeah. Where did you guys play last night? Uh, Kansas, Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, okay. Good, like nine hours away or something. Yeah. So yeah. it's been it's been a trip. Yeah. How was that show? It was pretty cool, actually. It was it wasn't as many people as most of the other nights in that tour, but the the town itself was pretty cool. Kind of like laid back town with. Uh, bunch of like good restaurants and bars so yeah. I was surprised because I, I wasn't really expecting Kansas to be spectacular and it wasn't exactly spectacular but at least there was something going on like in bars that were open until two in the morning which yeah. you'll be hard-pressed to find some yeah. somewhere else in America I guess so that was cool yeah, yeah it's a uh, it's a college town which so my uh, my sister went to school out there so yeah, yeah that's kind of what it's known for so What's, uh, how's the tour going so far? It's been awesome. It's been uh, really good shows, and I think we've been going down really well every night. Um, it's the perfect tour for us. Like the between the Barry and me fans, obviously have to put up with a lot of uh, a lot of things that they do. So they're pretty <laughs> open-minded towards like the long and epic songs that we have and the proggy parts in it. So we've been going down really well every night. The band is awesome. Like it's been really relaxing with with both other other bands. We're all just hanging out. We're really good friends, so that's been cool. And um, yeah, we the only shit thing is our transportation situation. We just got screwed by our bus company, Omnipath Rentals. I'm gonna mention them right here <laughs> to give them shit because they suck and they deserve to die. What happened there? Um, they, the bus came like 32 hours late and. Um, they weren't willing to compensate us for it, and then it was supposed to come with a trailer, but didn't have a trailer in the end. And um, the mirror was busted, and everything was just shit. And then uh, they just ceased to communicate with us at one point, and they were not willing to fix any of these issues. And then their driver lost his passport, so we couldn't even go to Canada and had to drive ourselves. And oh, wow. They didn't send out a replacement for him, and uh, yeah, so far we've already had lots of mechanical repairs that needed to be done that they said they would cover but they didn't so they just screwed us because we paid them up front which was their condition for giving us a discount and now they just think they can do whatever the fuck they want and it sucks yeah that's uh, that has made the I don't know like that that has kind of like prevented me from getting really into this tour in the beginning because it's like of course you have great shows every night but as soon as you get off stage all this trouble comes back you know and it's always like in the back of my head some somewhere yeah. and uh, that that's just been shit but yeah apart from that it's it's been really good good yeah. good what's been the best stop so far you guys are only a few shows in but oh we're actually like almost halfway through i think oh, okay. now yeah um the best shows were probably the two Canadian shows. They were amazing, Montreal and Toronto. Especially Montreal was really, really good. Um, New York was good. Um, Pontiac was pretty good. That's Detroit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, somewhere near, near Detroit. Um, but, like I said, most, most shows were, were actually really decent. And um, there haven't been any complete, completely shit ones. Like, the venues were very different. We've played some venues that were more like large bars with small stages and not the best sound systems. And then we've played these huge epic theaters at the same, you know, like the next night or whatever. So it's been very varied in terms of the locations we we played on this tour. Yeah. But uh, the turnouts were great and the crowds are really enthusiastic over here, which is awesome. They're really, really into it and lots of people know the songs and... And uh, lots of people have heard a lot about us, but actually haven't heard our music. And uh, that's their first chance to see us. So I think we're reaching a lot of new people on this tour. It's really good. Nice. Well, you never 
talking about this a little bit on the way over, but I mean, what's the what do you think is the big difference between American crowds and European crowds? Um, it's hard to say because European crowds is that's a term that's summarizing lots of different crowds. I mean, it's really different depending where country, you go in country. Europe. Yeah, if you go to Eastern Europe, you have really excited crowds because not so many bands and tours are going through there. They're a bit off the beaten track, so they appreciate it more, and then people will get more into it when you when you play there. In Germany, people are spoiled because all the big tourists play Germany, and uh, it's more like people are just unexcited, standing there, clapping usually. I'd say generally the crowds on this tour have been a bit more excited than European crowds, which is really cool. Yeah, I was surprised to find that. Um, but yeah, the crowds have been really responsive, and uh, maybe it's just the right tour. But I mean, we've we've played huge tours in in Europe, and it hasn't always been as good as as it has been on this tour. So it's nice. really cool. Yes, yeah. nice. and people are generally really open-minded, which is cool. It's like, I mean, this this package is really diverse, and it draws all different kinds of people. You know, the job for cowboy kids are obviously different fans than the kids who come out to see between the bird and me. But they're all interested in all the bands, it seems, and they all give every every band a chance and a listen, and that's also really cool, because in Europe it's more segregated, it seems like. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, people go there for one band and then don't care about the rest. And here it seems like people are really into the whole package, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. Is that kind of leading into that? I mean, how does it differ touring Europe versus touring the U.S.? Um... It's very different. Obviously, distances are larger here. Uh, wait a second, is that okay with the noise in the back? Or? Yeah, it should be fine. This yeah. thing's pretty sensitive. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. Um, it's very different. It's uh, First of all, driving distances are much larger here, so it's, uh, it's more difficult to travel comfortably. I mean, we have a bus, at least, with yeah. bunks where we can lay down, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, we wouldn't have trips like now from Denver to Vancouver, 1,400 miles that just wouldn't happen in Europe. That'd be so like Vancouver's your next stop after. Yeah, here? wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but that's what it is. Yeah, wow. So that's one thing, and then the way bands are treated is very different in Europe. Hospitality is uh, definitely much at a, at a much higher level than here. Um, you always get catering. You always get a hot in-house meal which usually includes like soup and a hot meal and different choices of food and you get snacks upon arrival, sandwiches that the promoter provides, um, you get all different kinds of drinks and booze and beer and uh, you get nothing like that here. It's the same in the UK though, I think that's the same kind of culture. Oh, really? Whenever we tour the UK all you get is a bag of chips and, and a box of water and uh, that's mostly the same in America. If you tour mainland Europe you will get huge like buffets buffet style dinners and everything wow. and usually promoters will pay for your hotel expenses too wow. so at least when you're headlining obviously um, so that's very different but I, I knew that before we've toured the US in 2008 it's just a different culture it's uh, it's the way it is over here and you have to play by the rules and uh, get used to that and uh, it's we get buyouts every night which is fine you know we can get our own food, but uh, I'm vegetarian, I sometimes have a bit of a hard time finding something that is not pizza or, yeah. or a burger. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little rough when you're in America's bread basket, we love our meat for sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's cool. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's talk about the last couple albums. Uh, you guys put out two albums in the same year, last year, uh, which is pretty pretty uncommon. Um, what what kind of sparked that or what, what kind of led you down that path? 
we just had a lot of material written and uh, at first I thought that the material was so different and diverse that it wouldn't really fit onto one album but in the end looking back at it that wasn't really the main issue it was just the the amount of material um, that made it possible to split it up to two different releases because we didn't want to do another double album like Procambrian I think um, you don't necessarily do your own songs justice by doing that because people's attention span is pretty short these days and most people will only listen to like the first five or six tracks anyway. Um, so if you release like a hundred minutes of music at once, it's just going to over, over challenge people or something like that. So we didn't want to do that. We wanted to split it up and release them separately, but still have the link there that, you know, the con conceptual link that, that combines the two albums. And that was the second thing. Um, it's a, concept album about the legacy of Christianity basically and mm -hmm. there's so much to say about that that it would have been almost impossible to, to squeeze all that to uh, like within the constraints of one album you know right so we had to um, yeah split it up to two albums right well let me ask you something because I you know I think in the, something I was thinking about on the way up I was listening to heliocentric love the last couple of days and then uh, anthropocentric uh, today um, the bottom one that came out, but you know, just kind of getting caught up in preparation for the interview, of course. But <clears throat> I mean, it, it seems like at least with 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 heliocentric, you get or uh, yeah, I mean, you guys were really examining Christianity, but it it wasn't. It, it's not like the typical blasphemy for blasphemy's sake that you see. No. In metal. It was more of just like kind of an open and honest examination of the belief system and just kind of picking it apart. Is that? Yeah, it's not a it's not a, a typical black metal anti-Christianity uh, paganist Satan album. Right, right. <laughs> uh, there's no crosses turned upside down or anything like that. It's more like a philosophical critique that is yeah, um, that is coming to it um, from a pretty open-minded perspective but of course we have our views it's uh, both albums are clearly perpetuating an atheist stance in every regard I think that becomes clear if you read the lyrics right um, but we didn't just want to bash Christianity and you know like work with symbols that have been completely overused in metal so that that would have been too boring so we offer a pretty balanced perspective I think but it's still uh, a, str a strong atheist statement both of those albums that's what really struck me about it when that was I, I just I really liked how that came together you know because like you said I mean it wasn't a typical yeah you know you know let's use images you know like you said the upside down crosses and, and just kind of like I said you know blaspheming for the sake of it you know yeah. it really looked like you guys were you know, taking a very open-minded approach and, and really, you know, examining it front to back. Yeah, I try to, um, like, get to as many different sources and, like, um, different philosophers and their opinions as possible and, you know, squeeze that all into into these albums. So you'll get different uh, different perspectives, definitely. Yeah. What uh, what prompted the stylistic... I mean, there's a bit of a stylistic shift, at least with heliocentric. Um, it's a little... A little proggier, you know. There, there's some heavy parts, but it. You, you mean know, compared to the previous albums? Well, compared to the previous albums, or even compared to Anthropocentric, because I, I thought I thought the second yeah. one was, you know, a lot heavier, a little denser, than, you know the. Yeah. The first seemed a little. Seemed a, I don't want to say lighter, but maybe just you, know, you guys were really kind of getting outside of your comfort zone a little. What? Um. Yeah, heliocentric is. Most people think it's it's kind of like a or pop album or whatever. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure I would agree to that. To me it's a it's a pretty heavy album. 
too, apart from the two or three songs that are mainly piano and, and uh, clean vocal based. But then again, we have those on Anthropocentric as well. There's, um, there's two or three songs that are just, uh, yeah, really clean guitars, clean vocals, piano. So we, we cover the whole like dynamic and stylistic range on both albums, I think. But still, most people will will probably say that Heliocentric is a bit of the softer album. That wasn't really a conscious choice. It's just that I wrote that album uh, myself completely within like three weeks. And oh, wow. at the end of it, I just thought this is complete. Like this is an album right here. I didn't want to add anything or take anything away from that. But at the same time, Jonah had written a couple of songs too. And I had some other songs that you know, were written at different mm -hmm. periods. So it was clear that we needed to make another album. And uh, the fact that Anthropocentric turned out to be a bit heavier is mainly due to the fact that Jonah wrote a couple of those songs and he's got a different approach to writing than I do. And also um, that it wasn't, Anthropocentric wasn't really written as a whole. Like it's a, a bit of patchwork, which you don't really realize in the end, I think. And uh, it's cool because there's still some cohesion and some like red thread going through it. But it's it's a bit of more of a patchwork album. Heliocentric was really written from start to scratch, uh, from start to, to to end basically, and um, anthropocentric was put together from different writers and different periods of writing too. So. Right. So which I mean, which kind of philosophers and writings did you find yourself pulling from? Were there any ones sticking out more than others? Or? Well, there is lots of Nietzsche in it everywhere. I mean, yeah. we have uh, <laughs> Sewers of the Soul, for example. Is, yeah, that'll, that'll be me, probably. <laughs> yeah, there, there is lots of Nietzsche. Uh, Sewers of the Soul, for example, is entirely a Nietzsche, Nietzsche aphorism. All the words to that song are just Nietzsche, basically. And um, there's lots of quotes, and especially on Anthropocentric, too. And then Metaphysics of the Hangman, obviously, is a Nietzsche quote on Heliocentric, which reappears in the lyrics to Anthropocentric. So that's something that's going throughout all the songs quite a bit. Um, and then there's uh, Richard Dawkins, of course, who's this bearhead of modern atheism and uh, a person that I really admire for being daring and being loud and uh, inconvenient for a lot of people. Sometimes he's a bit exaggerating, um, but I think we need people like him to to uh, provoke and to open people's eyes. So I have a lot of respect for that guy. And I mean, the origin of God is, is entirely inspired by, by Dawkins, for example. Um, that's uh, his main argument, that he's... Uh, uh, giving in the, in the God delusion there um, that has made it entirely into into the lyrics of that song. So those are probably the two main sources. Then heliocentric is like approaching the whole subject from a more like historical, chronological point of view. It really starts with original text from the Bible, firmament, and then um, then moves on to medieval times when you know Copernicus and Galilei discovered that Earth was not actually the center of the universe and the effects that has had on, on people's beliefs. And then Catharsis of a Heretic is about Giordano Bruno, who was uh, uh, who was burned at the stake of the Catholic Inquisition for heresy, although he wasn't really a, a, a heretic, I guess. And then moving on to Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution and Richard Dawkins in the end. So that's a very strict like line, you know. Anthropocentric is more. Um, again, more patchwork, like more um, drawing from different sources. It's a, it's a bit more of a, of a less logical and more emotional approach to uh, that album that we've taken, both musically and in terms of lyrics, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. 
Yeah, they're, and they're both great front to back, you know, last, last couple of days. You know, <coughs> as long as you're having a job or I can take my iPod and just kind of plug it in. So that's cool. It's a good front to back listen, and I just <laughs> definitely uh, liked it. I liked them. I mean, not, I liked them better with each successive lesson. It's just it's cool how you kind of notice stuff the more you listen to it. Um, I mean, it, I, I guess along those lines, I mean, it, it seems to be kind of a you know, between bands like The Ocean or between The Buried and Me or you know some of these that you would kind of label progressive. You know, there, there seems to be some. Uh, you know, the music is more complex, but it seems like the, the subject matter is a lot more complex. I mean, do you? Do you think that's a conscious effort on the part of, you know, metal artists to, to kind of legitimate metal as an art form, or do you think it's just kind of a natural progression? I think it's a natural progression. I mean, we're, we're, I'm not, like, seeking concepts. It's not things that I'm... It's not that I'm going to the library to find things that I could write about. It's all things that I've been thinking about for a long time that are on my mind that I have an interest in that uh, make it to the lyrics of our songs and that's pro I can't speak for Between the Bird and Me or, or all these other bands but um, I don't think there is like a like some kind of like um, like an intellectual disposition there or anything like that that makes these bands want to pursue something like that it just fits somehow I mean also like they're fans you know they're they're pretty open-minded and into like experimenting and finding new things. It's not your average um, Belfigore fan, for example, that listens to Between the Bird and Me. I think, and um, so it's yeah, it's I think it's a natural progression. Like you know, music has always evolved and metal has evolved a lot over the last couple of years. People have been bringing in influences that were not very typical in the metal context now. Between the Bird and Me are doing that. We're doing that too with our classical instruments. And they're doing it with their like dance parts and their kind of like strange the polka like, part the polka parts. Yeah, which is awesome. I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah. It's, it's great. And, um, and the public has been like raised to appreciate this kind of... Uh, daringness I think and uh, the success that a band like Between Bird and Me has proves that it's it's actually working out and that people are, are getting more into this kind of stuff which is great yeah. and um, that of course affects all the lyrical ideas behind it too and there's no boundaries anymore it's not that metal has to be about skulls and flames or you know like you can write about anything um, if you do it in an um, yeah, in a heartfelt and like you know, like interesting way. Interesting way. Yeah, you can you can make a concept album about almost anything, and that's cool. I think yeah. it's great that like these boundaries disappear and um, everything is allowed nowadays. It's cool. Everything goes. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely. You know, I think metal has definitely enjoyed a renaissance in the last probably four or five years. Mm. It's been exciting to watch the you know, the clashing of the genres and the building. Totally. Yeah. So what do you guys? Uh, what do you guys have on deck for the rest of the year? Mm -hmm. We're gonna finish this tour now. We're about halfway through, so it carries on until like May seventeenth or something like that. Then we're flying back to Europe, um, doing ten shows in the UK. Um, with a band called Earth Tone Nine, really awesome European band that had disappeared for the past ten years, and now they're back together. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I was big time into them back then, so it's going to be cool to tour with these guys. And then we're going to he headline Friction Tour in Europe, which is um, three, four weeks mainland Europe. So we're going to be on the road until end of June, basically. Then it's summer festivals. 
and then we'll see what we're going to do in the fall. I don't think we're going to start writing a new album this year. Um, maybe start writing it, but definitely not start recording it and actually like you know planning it. Um, I think we're going to be touring more in the fall. Hopefully, we'll be back in the U.S. before the end of the year too. Oh, okay. Because we have working visas that are good for a year now. They're like really expensive, so we need to make most <laughs> out of it. So yeah. yeah, we need to get over here again before the end of the year. That's yeah. the plan. Different bus company, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Nice. <laughs> it would be, I mean, obviously, this, you know, this tour package is working out pretty well for you, but I mean, if you could tour with three other bands, what would be your ideal tour package? Hmm. <laughs> together or not together, let's make it interesting. Any, any band, any genre, any... Tool, Deftones, and the Dillinger Escape Plan, which nice. we already toured with last year. That was awesome. <laughs> Probably, I mean, there's heaps more, heaps, ba- heaps of bands I would like to tour with, but um, I, I would also be into touring with more more calm bands like Black like Black Hat Procession or Crippled Black Phoenix or Mogwai. I'm a lot into that stuff too, and we do share a band, uh, common ground with these bands too. I think uh, in the more like melancholic, atmospheric parts, not so much in the heavy parts, but. I'm bored of watching packages where you get four times the exact same band to listen to over the course of the night. We have this festival in Berlin called Friction Fest. Now we're doing this tour called Friction Tour too. And yeah, our, our mission is to create friction between different genres and styles of music, you know, because nobody wants to see the same band like five times. So why not try to pull together a package with more like, yeah, with a few quieter bands on the bill as well or something more geared towards progressive indie rock you know there's also lots of great bands it doesn't always have to be just a metal package for me yeah. so yeah, that was kind of a weird dynamic it just made me think uh, a couple years ago I saw Keel Hall and Isis on the same bill mm-hmm. that was an interesting juxtaposition because yeah. Keel Hall was a lot higher energy but then Isis was a lot more atmospheric so it was I, Isis, Isis have always taken out interesting bands on tour and they have really taken care of choosing their supports, not only from a commercial perspective, but also from a music listener's perspective and from what they, what, whoever they wanted to bring out. I mean, they brought out Oxbow to Europe, which is completely different, but awesome, you know, fucking brilliant band. They brought out Circle in, in Europe too, and um, they've always taken great care of that, and that's something I have a lot of respect for, bands that carefully choose their supports not just in terms of whether they will add a few more scene kits to the bill but also in terms of whether it actually fits and whether it's musically interesting and challenging for, for the listeners and the people who pay money to see these shows yeah kind of makes me think of when I saw Meshuggah open for Tool <laughs> it was the same thing I think same like thing. half the crowd was like when Meshuggah was playing they were like what the fuck yeah totally <laughs> that, I, I missed that package but that yeah. was fucking brilliant yeah. I was over here and I, I uh, Uncle DJs for a radio station down in the Springs, and uh, he had me up in the VIP room. And it's funny watching one of the one of the older DJs. It was a lady like in her mid forties, and Meshuggah was playing. And she was just turning white. She just could not handle it. She was a rock DJ too, and she was just like, "Oh my god, this is the scariest shit I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> it is a scary life, Ben. Yeah, yeah for sure. Scary in there. And they are ridiculous perfection. It's just, I've seen them live a bunch of times and it blows me away every time. Last time I saw them was at Hellfest at a huge stage and it sounded exactly like on, on the album and every note is just there. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're machines. 
Yeah, I was really sad when I missed them with yeah. ministry. I think I was ministries for with a while. Ministry? Too. Wow. Yeah. Mm. They were up here at uh, Fillmore. That's a good package, too. Yeah, I was so pissed when I missed them. Yeah. It was ministry, prong, and yoga. Awesome. And I was like, fuck. Awesome. <laughs> I couldn't get a babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a really good package. See, I'm being responsible. I got to drive. Cool. Well, I think that's... All right. Thank you so much for taking the time.